0: Just at the top of this episode, I want to let you know that this conversation does talk about both sexual assault and suicide. If these are triggers for you, um, maybe skip this episode and come back next week. Otherwise, talk to our friends at Lifeline on 13 11 14. Hi, I'm Libby Trickett. This is All That Glitters podcast where I sit down with the world's best retired athletes and explore the transition from the bright lights of competition to the real world. Today's guest is former world number one para-athlete Taylor Clement. Taylor Clement made her name as a para-swimmer, but the toadung athlete is now making waves in track and field, swapping the pool for shot
1: put and discus, but it's the off-field battles that have made Clement's rise to the top even more impressive.
0: Well, if you're comfy, we might get started. Is that cool? Wonderful. Amazing, yes. cool. <laughs> Taylor, thank you so much again for for all of your time. It's um, I saw uh, your chat with David Mead, who has his own podcast, which is amazing. everyone should go listen to it. But I wanted to, like I just I saw this particular snippet on social media of you speaking. and you just struck me as the most I don't I don't know what the word was, just grounded. And strong and, like, I I don't know you, but, like, you just – you have this presence and someone who's obviously been through a lot in her very young life and Mm -hmm. I just – was desperate to talk to you so thank you I really (laughs) really appreciate um well thank you
1: so much for having me thank you because I grew up uh, because I was a swimmer as well for a um, a long period of time and I just always remember watching you swim and I was saying to mum this morning I was like can you believe that like I'm talking to Libby today (laughs) like it's just like the strangest concept in the world because you never think when like you're an athlete yourself and you're watching other athletes in your own sporting code. You just never think that you're going to be talking to them like a few years down the track and everything. That's just, I find it really funny how things play out and yeah, I'm just super grateful that you're willing to have a check with me today. Yeah,
0: no. And I just, well, thank you. (laughs) I (laughs) I, I appreciate all of that. That's lovely. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm really grateful that you're, you've come on today because I think you've got a really incredible story that so many people will just be able to take strength from. So, um, so. <laughs> I, I guess to get started, I like to kind of ask at some point during my conversations with people what they're most proud of from their sporting career and you kind of mm-hmm. had two parts. You obviously mentioned that you ha- did swimming and you did that to quite yep. a high level, a very high level. Yeah. Um, but then you also went into track and field and you were a shot, yeah. shot putter, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So you, yeah. you did shot putter. No running. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I feel you in my soul, 100%. Um, but you you kind of had this meteoric rise in track and field, oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. So, can you tell us a little bit about your um, your sporting career, but also what the the moment that you're most proud of through that journey? I guess.
1: So I was swimming from as little as I can remember. Like, there's not really a memory I remember where I wasn't like doing swimming in some form. But I got into Paralympic swimming. Uh, when I was 12 I think I was picked up through like the talent ID programs that they have over here in New Zealand and at the time it was just me and quite literally like three or four other swimmers because that's how like little New Zealanders in terms of, um, I guess, disability. I mean, like, there are lots of people with disability in New Zealand, but when it comes to sport, like, we've got nowhere near as many as, like, Australia or America or anything like that. Yeah, there was, like, at my first talent ID camp I went to, there would have been about five of us. Wow. Um, There were more like there were more coaches and like medical staff than there were swimmers. It's
0: amazing.
1: (laughs) Which just makes me laugh. It actually makes me laugh so much. But anyway, (laughs) um, so I went to my first New Zealand Opens. Um, so we've got like in terms of national swimming competitions, we've got um Nags or New Zealand age groups. So that's when you swim and compete against your age group. Mm. Um, and then we've got New Zealand Opens, which is when it's just an open category. You've got no um age or anything you just swimming against everyone else and so that's the one that the Paralympic athletes went to and I was going to New Zealand opens from the age of about 13 or 14 wow. so I was super super young um, and so I was exposed to that high level of sport at a really young age which I think has its pros and cons but I think it did me a world of good because it enabled me to see what it was going to take for me to become successful in swimming which is what I really wanted it at the time. Um, my first international competition was over to Australia, and we competed at the—I think it might have been the New South Wales State Champs oh, in awesome. Sydney. Yeah, it would have been in Sydney, and we were at the Sydney Olympic Park. And I—I like, I just, <laughs> I just remember getting into the swimming pool, and I was like, "Oh my God, I've made it! I've made it! I'm here! <laughs> I'm at the Sydney Olympic so not- Pool!" <laughs> Yeah, yeah I was like oh my god this is it this is like the peak this is the pinnacle mm. um and bearing in mind I was 15 then so yes. it definitely wasn't the pinnacle but at the time I was like oh my god I've made it yep. like I've literally made it and you see all these like people that you see swimming on tv around the corner just like hi, like, mm. hi. amazing <laughs> so excited and like I think I just have one of those personalities where I just say hi to anyone. I've always done that, and so I think people thought I was like weird or something because I just go in the pool going hi, 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 hi. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I well,
0: I love that. Um, That's great. So
1: that was like my that was my first kind of taste of international competition. Um, And then my main pinnacle um, international competition was the Pan Pacific Games over in LA in 2014. Wow. Um, So that truly at the time, like it just, it still shocked me how like a little old me, little old Taylor could make it to this sort of level of racing. Mm. In um, competition, and it just—I mean, I did absolutely horrible. Like I was because I was a 400 meter freestyler and 200, and I like I did other events, but those are like my two main ones. And I was like five seconds off my 400. Oh freestyles. no! Oh. And like it, i mean, I was. Yeah, I would have been fifth. Or 16 around that time. And it just broke me. It oh, absolutely if, broke yeah. me. I was like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. Like, how did I not PB here? And, like you know, when every time you hop into the pool, you just want to get a PB, especially when you're young, yes. especially when you're like just young and you're like, I'm going to PB every single race. And I was a really good trainer. Like, I was always like nailing my threshold sets and everything. But when it got to racing, because of my mental health, which I guess we'll get to mm. um, in a bit, like, I just, For some reason, I just couldn't pull it together in the swimming pool, um, which was heartbreaking for me. And I can send you a picture if you like, but I was probably at my heaviest at Pan Pacific Games because I was struggling with an eating disorder Mm. through that time as well. And I look back on photos and I'm like, holy shit, what the hell? Like, I just don't, I don't understand how no one, like not even one person saw what was happening yeah not that I was forthcoming about what I was going through That I just don't know how no one saw it yeah but like no one checked <laughs> I in on you now but like it's quite yeah it's um yeah I have a few stories about being um in swimming and um one of them is probably so we had this thing over in New Zealand called carding it's a carding system and it's essentially I guess like being a professional athlete mm. so for swimming you hit a certain time and you start getting paid to be a full-time um, swimming like person awesome. swimming person full-time <laughs> training um and so it differs it differs a bit from being in the paralympic sport to able bodied sport um and that's something that always bothered me a bit because here i was at, at Pan pacific games um getting like fourth and fifth like I mean it's still good I didn't medal, but like fourth and fifth is still pretty bloody good absolutely and here I was not getting paid Mm. or not getting any assistance I had to fund my whole trip over there so not getting any assistance or anything um and then there were people in able body sports who weren't even in the top 100 in their sport and getting Mm. paid and so to me in my little young mind (laughs) I was like it just doesn't make sense
0: no 100 um, percent. that does not make sense
1: yeah um, so I have a funny story about my athletics journey which we'll get into now so yeah pain was my pinnacle event for swimming. um in terms of athletics you could say it was a bit of a whirlwind because I was only in the sport for three years of wow. that three years of that and I had to retire I say that in air quotes because I was only like 18 yeah. <laughs> um, I had to retire from something due to my mental health because I was in and out of hospital all the time um, and I just could not keep up with the training so I was like okay I've got to call it quits so yeah. did that and then that was at the start of 2018. 20- 18, I want to say, 2017, 2018 um, and then was in intensive therapy all of that year and then near the end of the year because I'm impatient and can't sit still I took an opportunity to go and give athletics a go um, and so I rock up to this to the um, athletics track and they're like okay what do you want to give a go and I was like well I won't be running anywhere so if cow walking's on the table possibly but if not then I guess we'll be throwing some shit um, <laughs> Let um, me just throw some shit. Let me just release all this anger that yes. I have. Yes, so good. Um, um, so they gave me a shot put and they're like, "Okay, just stick in the circle and do what you do." Just school. throw it. And I was like, "I was like, okay, here we go, Joel." Um, so I get in the circle and they're like, "Okay, go." So I just did it. And this guy just was standing there looking at me, and I was like, "Hello, is anyone home? Like, what's going on?" Said nothing. Literally got onto a phone and started texting some people, and I was like, "Okay, this is just awkward now." Like, <laughs> bearing in mind, I was still, I was like, <laughs> I was still riddled with anxiety mm. at this point. So here I was, just like doing this with my hands and being like, "Oh my god!" Like, trying to not have a panic attack. And then I see these like three or four people walking over from the national head office, and I was like. Oh. i don't want to do it i'm out i'm not doing it anymore yeah um and they're like they they, he introduced me to these people and said could you just do what you did before and i was like well (laughs) there's a bit more pressure now um (laughs) there's more people watching yeah there's a lot more people here um so I got in the circle again. Through it, they measured it, and they're like, "Taylor, you've just broken the New Zealand record in your classification." And I was like, "Shit, <laughs> that's pretty cool." <laughs> guess I'll keep. I guess I'll keep doing this thing. Um, and that was sort of like the beginning of my um, athletics journey. Bear in mind, I've never ne- had never competed in athletics, mm. never had a training session and this was near the end of the year as well so going into 2018 they had a new zealand team going over to the um victoria state champs over in melbourne and they were like taylor we want you to go on to that team and i was like listen <laughs> this is all a bit too much mm. like, it's all <laughs> so happening very like, quickly i was just like listen i like and so Fast forward to when I got to that competition I'd had three training sessions and that international that international competition was my first ever competition I didn't know how to compete in shot put I didn't know how it worked didn't know how many throws you got didn't know how to warm up and I was like okay here we go this is just (laughs) we're just going straight in (laughs) um bearing in mind again I was still riddled with anxiety couldn't take my parents over was like literally on the phone within 20 minutes before going out to compete and I was like pulling my eyes I was like I don't think I can do this like I've made a horrible decision <laughs> I don't want to do it I'm going to kick my bags and come home and mum and dad just like no tell you're there just do it doesn't matter what happens it's just to get your international classification so I go out there do my three throws and then they say that I've made it into the top eight to have my final three throws and I was like dear lord have mercy on my soul um I was like this is not gonna go well anyway do my last three throws and I was literally packing up I was like right time to go home boys it's all done we're done we're going home and they're like so they're calling out the from eighth to first Mm. and they didn't call my name at eighth and i was like oh i've been disqualified i've been disqualified that's it it's all over (laughs) it's all done that was pointless and then i know and they got to um fourth and they still hadn't called my name out and i was like oh my god like i just don't want to be here anymore. like i've been disqualified it's Mm. embarrassing anyway they called third and it wasn't me and then they called um second and it wasn't me. And I was like, oh, my God, like, there's only one person left. And I'm the only person left here. Like, <laughs> what does this mean? And then they're like, and Taylor, you got first. And I was like, someone is trying to prank me right now. Wow. <laughs> like, what is happening? Um. And then they get us onto the podiums and stuff. And they, like, go third as this person, second is this person, and first from New Zealand is Taylor, who has also just become world number one. <gasps> and I was like. Yeah, I just got goosebumps saying that it, because it's Yeah, they've got real. too. <laughs> <laughs> it still doesn't feel real to me, but when they said that, I was like looking around the podium, I was like, no, 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 like someone has got this so wrong. Mm. Anyway, so they got off the podiums and stuff and they had like this tiny little media like press conference after it happened. <laughs> um, and it was just like a local newspaper and they're like, um, Taylor, would you like to comment on what just happened? And <laughs> <laughs> the literally only thing I said was no comment and walked <laughs> off because I was so anxious <laughs> it was so bad and I was like I'm so sorry Like, <laughs> no comment I didn't I, like I was like no, just like I'm like I'm being paparazzi now. Yes. Like, no comment. <laughs> you have say talk, that, you'll have to talk. you have to talk to my manager. <laughs> they're assuming
0: that Taylor's like just real full of herself because she's now number one, world number
1: one. <laughs> I know. And I was just like, oh no, it's all gone wrong. It's all gone wrong. in my first ever like time getting interviewed, and I was like, well. Wow no That's comment me <laughs> yeah so that was my first taste of competition yeah. fast forward to that time again the following year in 2019 it was new zealand um nationals and it was the qualifying event for worlds um had had a really really bad training like weeks leading up to it had a fallout with um one like a coach side so to change coaches two weeks out oh, wow. wasn't getting anywhere near my personal bests like anywhere near them um in the competitions leading up to it and I literally got to nationals, and I was like well there's only so much I can do from this point anyway did my throws ended up qualifying for worlds well beyond the standard and breaking the world record um, wow. in that <laughs> competition and then a few months later I got injured and there were some other things happening within the sport that I just wasn't willing to put myself through and so I called it quits and here we are today wow <laughs> what a whirlwind so a whirlwind to say the least yeah <laughs> yeah that
0: I find that really fascinating because like I've always dabbled with the the idea of, you know, going into some other sport and, you know, wanting to be successful. I think we all have. Yeah.
1: I think most athletes do. They're like, "Mm, they look good doing it. Maybe I could
0: look good doing it too. Yes. (laughs) And like, I think it's that internal, uh, that drive to, to improve and that, that, 100%. challenged
1: physically to yeah. like push and yourself. it never leaves you either yes it never leaves you so to any athletes thinking it will calm down once you retire it won't yes it won't it will
0: stay with you forever forever <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. gosh what an, in- an incredibly i mean Flash in the pan, in a way, but like, yeah, like incredibly <laughs> successful flash in the pan <laughs> that you mm. could have, you know, ever dreamt of. Really,
1: I was gonna say, I forgot to say the most proudest moment. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry, yes,
0: sorry, um, let's let's go
1: there. <laughs> um, that. But- you know, people always ask me, like, if you had asked me when I was like a 15, 16 year old girl, I had a vision board up on my wall and on it was world number one, world record holder and everything. So my vision board came true, just not in swimming, <laughs> in a different sport. Mm. And at, at the age of 15 and 16, 17, like that's literally all I wanted. All I, all I saw success as was being at the top being at the top, getting gold medals, getting world records, being world number one. But when it happened, and I was also in a more mature mindset as well, having gone through everything I had gone through up until that point and being on the recovery journey, I realised that it was never, it was or would never be about being a gold medal um, winner or how many world records you had to your name or um, how many world number ones you had to your name. But um, I think, My proudest moment was definitely when – it's going to sound a bit cheesy, but when I decided that enough was enough with athletics and I wasn't willing to put myself through all the pain and trauma again of being an elite athlete Um, because I think – and it's one thing I will always talk about. I think a lot of young kids especially think that being an an elite athlete is all this glitz and glimmer and everything sparkling, everyone caters to your needs and everything – but it's not that at all. And I'm not trying to deter anyone from being an an elite athlete and striving for their goals and everything, but you have to decide within yourself whether being successful as an athlete is what you really truly want or if it's the image that you want. Mm. Um, And for me, it just wasn't the image that I wanted, and it's why I don't really talk about my, like, athlete career on Mm. Instagram or socials, because I don't want to be known as Taylor the World Record or Taylor the... World number one, I just want to be known as Taylor, the girl that is inspiring and empowering people to live the life that they want to live. And being an athlete for me, I just didn't desire it anymore. And so I'm proud that – I mean, being World Record Holder is amazing, but I'm more so proud of knowing what I wanted and having the confidence within myself to just call it quits when I knew I didn't want to do it. Which is just so remarkable
0: to to have that within you at such a young age because, like, I feel like I'm, you know – I'm 36, and I'm only just starting to like put those boundaries <laughs> into place and to take care of, mm. you know, my mental health and set, um, yeah, yeah, putting those um, fundamentals into my life that, you know, will yeah. allow me to thrive in the best possible way. Yeah, but, 100%. like, I, I, it's never too late either. No, <laughs>
1: it's no, it's never too late. <laughs> at
0: yes, all. I totally, totally agree. But I guess I kind of wanted to take you back to the start then. Um, mm-hmm. A couple of things, because for people who don't know much about the the disability classifications, can you explain a little bit about your diagnosis and the things Mm -hmm. that kind of allowed you to go into para sports?
1: Yeah. So I was born with an extremely rare neurological disorder called Nobis syndrome. And what it essentially is is facial paralysis. So it affects my sixth and seventh cranial nerves. So my eyebrows don't move, my eyes don't trap from left to right and my upper lip doesn't move, which means I can't smile. And I also like to refer to it as free Botox. So if my future <laughs> husband <laughs> so if my future husband is listening to this, just know you won't have to play for my Botox. Um <laughs> um that's so good um, yeah it's super it's super super rare only affects one individual in every three to four million and because of this syndrome so people who have this syndrome they're also born with an outer extremity deformity so that could be webbed fingers no fingers um Dicky hips, missing limbs, but mine was club feet or bilateral telepiece. So that means that when I was born, both of my feet were bent up and touching the insides of my knees. And so I was oh, wow. in plasters from the get-go. Yeah, I was in plasters from the get-go and had two operations by the time I was... Two, I think I believe um and basically the um, extent of that is that I have little to no ankle movement and no calf muscles so that's what enabled me to be a Paralympic athlete that's essentially my disability that allowed me to be a paralympic athlete um and then just just I love that phrasing
0: because it's <laughs> that your disability that enabled you to be a Paralympic athlete a para athlete like mm-hmm. I just I just love that like it's it's very empowering (laughs) oh thank you (laughs) yeah yeah because you know because obviously that would have presented a lot of challenges and a lot of obstacles to overcome but you're you're framing it in a way that it's allowed you these opportunities that may not have been afforded to you otherwise
1: yeah and it's the same way I see my syndrome as well like without my syndrome I wouldn't be talking to you right now and that's as plain and simple as it can be um without the syndrome I wouldn't have gone through everything that I went through and been in a position now where I can inspire and empower people. And I truly, like, without a doubt, wholeheartedly believe that that is what my purpose on this earth is to do. As cheesy as it sounds, I hate being cheesy. (laughs) But um, I think I was made to do this if mm. that makes sense like, I was made to be born the way that I was to inspire and empower people and like it just lights me up like I just I cannot stop smiling when I talk about it because yeah. like it just it makes me so happy that I get to do what I do that's beautiful yeah.
0: that's beautiful and
1: then at the age of three and a half I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes so okay. whoever is up and I was like we're just going to give Taylor all the, and <laughs> the things and she'll sort out and she'll
0: be she'll be right she'll <laughs> be fine she'll be fine 100 <laughs> 100% <laughs> Because like uh, the stuff that I've read about you that you've gone like you've gone through so much, and I know that you've you've touched on a few of your mental health challenges that you've gone through, but can you mm-hmm. kind of explain um, to people that, particularly around the bullying um, yeah it, that you experienced at school and mm-hmm. how traumatizing that was for you because it's yeah. Like it's just it's it's remarkable for me to kind of sit here with you because you, you're effervescent like you like we're, we're talking over zoom and I can I can yeah. feel your energy like it's really yeah. beautiful <laughs> and I just to know a little bit of your story like I, I you know I'd love to understand how you've kind of worked through what you've worked mm-hmm. through to be who you are mm-hmm. now
1: yeah um so the bullying started from again as long as I can remember like there wasn't time in school where I wasn't bullied and um, it started out as just like your normal bullying like being called names like ugly or I got called a dog which is really not that, that bad of a compliment now that I think about it because there are some really cute dogs so I was like, <laughs> okay <laughs> um but yeah got called like some of the names I can't even remember. I knew they were there because they made me cry so they must have been hurtful (laughs) um and then um around the age of eight or nine is kind of when it started to escalate so I got excluded from things people like people told other people to not be friends with me and vice versa and um I'd walk into a classroom and I would have to like find the desk that was like at the furthest away, like in the furthest corner of everything, because no one wanted to sit by me. People would even like drag the desk all the way back, so I'd just be like sitting right at the back. I remember this one netball team that I was in when I was about eight or nine, and yes, I did try to dabble in netball. Mm. Um, and as a fellow swimmer, I'm sure you can yeah. <laughs> agree
0: that we're we are not, not the made for automated. land. No, we are not made for land. <laughs>
1: we 100% aren't but I remember rocking up to training one day and the coach was a little bit like and there were nine of them just standing there in a circle and they all turned around and this one girl said we don't want you in the team anymore and I was like well I've paid for the seat well my mum's paid for the season so (laughs) you're stuck with me but Mm. um yeah so that um that happened and then uh just after my 12th birthday, I had a really invasive surgery that was supposed to be able to make me smile so they took um, tissue from my right thigh um, and implanted it internally up into the sides of my face so the idea would be that when I'd clench down I'd be able to lift up the corners of my mouth and quote unquote smile Mm. Um, and the surgery was unsuccessful obviously Mm. (laughs) Um, but I was like the swelling that I had in my face was Somehow I look back at photos and I'm like, how was that me? Like, how was I that small and had all that swelling? Um, and the swelling didn't go down for like a good year. Um, oh, so i had to start a new school <laughs> looking like a puffer fish. And it was six months after that surgery. So the following year, because the surgery was in November, it was six months after that surgery that I took what would be the first of six attempts on my life, oh, um, which is super young. Mm. It's super young to even be thinking about that. And looking back on it now, I don't think I fully understood what, I didn't even know that it was called suicide. I just knew I didn't want to be alive. Um, I don't think I fully understood what I was doing. I didn't think I understood what the ramifications of taking my own life meant, as stupid as that sounds. But Not I was at all. You were 12. <laughs> like- <laughs> Yeah, of course, um, you don't understand those yeah, consequences. I, yeah. And I think, like, because all of that first year in my new school, I had no friends. Like, I would I would rock up to the library at lunch, or I'd just sit outside the library. And even to the point when my mum came to school one day at lunchtime, and I didn't know she was coming, and I was just sitting by myself, literally, for like the hour long lunch period. And she came and she said, Taylor, where are your friends? And I was like, Oh, oh. And I panicked and I said, They were like coming, they were just late. Um, and so mum and dad had no idea what was going on and um, that first year at that new school was really tough for me going into that second year um, I made some friends because you know mum would come into school each year and like give the speech about how I was born with what I was born with which at the time I hated I yeah. absolutely hated it but I can understand why she did it now like looking back <laughs> yeah. um, and made a few friends here and there they weren't like looking back they weren't really my friends but I just so desperately wanted to be part of a friend group that I was kind of willing to just let everything slide and that was the year where for my birth so at especially when you're like young girls in school you always make a big deal out of like birthdays and stuff and like I always 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 participated in the other girls birthdays. so we would all bring like balloons and cakes and like, we would have like a shared lunch for lunch and everything and my birthday's in September so near the later um, part of the year and so I was super excited that my birthday was coming up I was like oh my god I have these friends that and like I just was so excited to get to school literally ran off the bus um and got to school and no one said anything and I was like oh maybe they're going to surprise me or something or whatever um and these two girls came in after me and they said oh happy birthday Taylor and they gave me a half-eaten chocolate block and you know when you get that feeling in your Mm. throat where you feel like you're going to cry and you're trying to hold it back that's what I felt because I was like these girls are supposed to be like my friends Mm. um and I just feel like they hate me and um they they, like, nothing happened for the rest of the day. So I got no balloons, no cake. I was mad, very angry. Mm, yeah, understandably. <laughs> I was like, where the heck is my cake? Mm. Um, but, yeah, so that happened. And then towards the end of that year, I made, again, some friends. I was obviously very gullible when I was young. <laughs> um, but I think it was kind of because I was so desperate to want to be accepted. Like, yes. all I wanted was to be accepted. Yes, because I couldn't smile, I really was made to believe that I wasn't good enough. And so mm. even when someone showed even the slightest bit of interest in me, I just jumped at it. I was like, here we go. This is it. This is, it. This this is, is where my it friendship. yeah, This is where it begins. Um, so I made some friends with some people that were in a couple of years above me. Um, and they lived around the corner from where I lived and was on the same bus as me and everything. Um, so... It started off as, like, a really good friendship, so I thought, um, and it actually turned out that that was the kind of group of people that raped and sexually assaulted me for two years. Oh, um, <laughs> um, And, again, I didn't know what rape or sexual assault was at the time because in school we have the sex ed talks, which don't even get me started on that. Mm. But they really only talk about girls' periods, and that's about it. Like, mm. they don't talk about what rape or sexual assault is. They don't yeah. talk Consent. about... Consent, yep at all they don't you know it's just sex is not talked about and like nearly enough as it should be Mm. um and so for those two years I was raped and sexually assaulted Mm. thinking the whole time that it was my fault because they would say oh you've got to do this otherwise you're going to have no friends or you've got to do this because we're the only people that like you or you've got to do this because you're never gonna like you're never gonna get a boyfriend you're never gonna have love in your life and all this sort of stuff and And like up until this point, like people would also say that my parents didn't love me. And so they also added on, they were like, don't, you can't tell your parents because they don't care. Don't tell your parents because they don't care. So it was, it was a bit of gaslighting in there as well, I guess you could say. Absolutely. um, How old were you? So when this happened? So so that started when I was 14. So between the ages of 14 and 16. Um, And then when I was 16, I moved away up to Auckland. Um, Our family relocated up here. And then those last three years of school, I I hardly even remember. I was so mentally gone. I'm mm. um, bearing in mind I was still training essentially full time, and I was so mentally gone that. I really struggle to remember much. Mm. Um, all I remember is that I was asked to leave school in year 13 because my mental health got to a point where I started collapsing and having seizures Oh wow! Um, in my in my last year of school. And they asked me to leave and said that I was a risk to other students, that me collapsing and having seizures was a risk to other students. And yeah, I was like, okay. okay. No, let's, let's <laughs> worry about the other
0: students and not the person who's yeah, you know, just se- uh, having seizures okay, and collapsing. But at
1: the time I was like, someone has read my mind because I hate school and I was like, <laughs> a gift from the universe to yeah. me they're like here <laughs> leave and I was like thank you um but looking back now it definitely was not handled how it should have been handled at all um, but it got but that was 2015 was my last year of school so it got to a point where end of 2015 going into 2016 I was having up to eight or nine seizures a day wow. um, and I was in and out of hospital got all these tests done like ECG CT scans um, scans on the heart brain everything Um, and everything was coming back fine and they're like we don't know what's wrong with this girl and I was like fabulous love that for me (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) like great great Um, on top of everything they don't know what's happening
1: (laughs) Um, but it was kind of halfway through 2016 where I saw a psychologist and they diagnosed me with extreme clinical uh, depression with anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder and disassociative attacks, which is what my seizures and collapsing were. Oh. So it was like school was a lot for me um, mm. and I wouldn't wish it upon anyone. But at the same time, like I'm extremely grateful that it was me who went through all of that stuff because without having gone through that, I would not be in the position that I am today and it sounds twisted and people people think I'm crazy when i say that sort of stuff but like it's just how it is for me like i see it as an extreme blessing that i went through all of that stuff cuz i get to inspire people and it like makes me so happy and the messages i get from people telling them that i've enabled them to see life in a different lens or see themselves in a different lens, yeah. like that's that's the type of person I needed when I was younger. So to be that for other people, like it just, yeah, makes me one very happy little tailor. Yeah. No, I mean it's it's
0: honestly remarkable and you you can, like I, I said before, you, you can sense that through the computer screen. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, like did through this time, did your parents know or like when they found out like how did wow. – you know yeah, obviously so being diagnosed with all of that the the stuff like yeah how did they um, I
1: think they were yeah. both pretty shocked when because I mean I still haven't told them everything that I've gone through and I don't think I ever will because I don't want them to think it was their fault yeah. and I just I would I could not live with myself if they thought they could have done something because there was nothing that they could have done yeah. and <laughs> They definitely, I think my mum was a lot better at handling it than my dad because my dad is like a true bloke, like <laughs> doesn't like talk about his emotions that much. But, again, but then again, my dad and I are very similar in the way we are as humans and, you know, our morals and values and everything. So I think he understood me on a level that my mum couldn't. Um, so it was a kind of a nice mix. When Mum was like the very level-headed, just just keep going, Taylor, kind of head, and then Dad was more so like that he understands me, kind of head. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. um, they've been so supportive of me, and uh, I don't like I'm a very I like to make jokes out of everything, and I'm very sarcastic, and it that, that's like how I view my syndrome and everything, and I don't think if I had had the parents that I've had. I would be able to kind of take everything on the chin like I do today, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah, so, absolutely. yeah, they're amazing. <laughs> so how did you – because
0: obviously you, you finished school in, in 2015. Like how do you yeah. – and oh, I just it, – it, it blows my <laughs> mind that you, you've gone through all of these just incredibly traumatic things through school and, like, some of the worst things that people could possibly go through. And yet during this time you were still – Training, you know, like you're yeah. still turning up to training and you're still, yeah, you know, trying to compete for Australia, uh, not Australia, you're from New Zealand.
1: <laughs> right? We'll claim you as
0: Australian because that's what we like to do. <laughs> okay, love that. I'm the man, honorary Australian. Honor, honorary Aussie, exactly. Um, <laughs> like you, you're going through, yeah, just some incredibly traumatic things and yet you're yeah. still... It, was that like an escape for you in a
1: way? Oh, 100%, yeah. And because swimming was the, up until that point was the only constant thing in my life. And mm. so in my head, I was, I was like, if I give up swimming and this routine that quite literally is my life, because I don't think people understand if they're not a swimmer, how time-consuming being a swimmer is. Mm. Um, it's not just like a kind of go to training and then leave and like you forget about it like it's with you twenty four seven. like you're never not thinking about something yeah um even when like you're going to sleep you're like okay gotta set my alarm for this time and you go to sleep thinking about it essentially um and so because it was such a huge part of my life I was like okay I've got to at least keep this going and I was getting into the pool and lasting about 20 minutes and having to get out because I was just so exhausted Mm. and I look back on it now and while obviously my coaches didn't know what I was going through, but I think they thought I was like being lazy and just didn't want to train, but because they didn't know what I was going through either. Mm. And so I was like only lasting about 20 or thirty minutes and pull like literally the warm up and then I'd get out and just leave or like go have a cry on the side of the pool, Mm. (laughs) like put my towel over my head and go cry or whatever. And because I had diabetes as well, like my blood sugars were just so all over the place. And so that hindered my training as well. Um, And so the last couple of years in swimming were not great for me, but I'm still grateful that I continued with it for as long as I did because Again, it's just about that consistency and yeah. resilience. And although I was kind of <laughs> like drowning in so many other areas of my life, I was still, I guess, afloat within swimming. Just, just having the head above the water. But um, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: And it's that kind of sense of a, a positive identity for you as yeah. well, because you, yeah, f- you were good at it. You know, that that's something. Yeah. That- a hundred percent. Yeah, way. it's nice, but also hard. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <different way. laughs> so, how did you? So, when you made the decision that sport was not who you wanted to be, mm-hmm. where? How? Where do you start? Like, because you've obviously, you yeah, like we said, you've gone through all of this experience, all of these traumas. You're you're essentially starting again, right? Because you kind of. Yeah, you finish school, you finish sports, finish
1: swimming, start yeah. athletics, finish athletics. Yeah,
0: and then you've uh, you've obviously have to have had to process so much of those experiences yeah. as well. Where mm-hmm. where do you start to take the next steps? How do you start to take the next steps?
1: Yeah, so it kind of, and I want to preface what I'm about to say by saying that my recovery journey was not easy at all. I don't think anyone's recovery journey. Um, is easy. I think it takes a lot of strength and willpower and resilience and determination and diligence to get yourself to a place where you're not in a dark space. anymore. And I don't think I don't think the journey or recovery, I so say recovery journey, but it's more so just a journey really in my eyes. I don't think the journey ever stops. I think um, as, as so long as you want to be happy and fulfilled and abundant in this life, I don't think the journey ever stops. And that's for anyone, not just people who deal with mental health issues. Um, but for me, I finished athletics. And because the one of the reasons I finished was because I felt my mental health going downhill again. And I kind of sat myself down and just said, okay, you've got two options, basically. You can either listen to what the specialists say and then saying that I'm never going to have independence again, I'm going to have to live with my parents the rest of my life, I'm never going to be able to drive, I'm never going to do this, never going to do that, blah, blah, blah. Or I can take my life into my own hands deal with whatever comes at me because I've already been through so much I can get through anything yeah. and just go with it you know like these are the two options either listen to what other people say about you what you've done for your whole life or start focusing on what you want to do with your life use what you've been through to not only impact yourself but to impact others and just see how it goes because I really have nothing to lose and so yeah. I obviously chose the latter <laughs> because we're sitting here today yeah. um, but it was quite an easy option for me for some odd reason. I just I just had this voice in the back of my head that was just going, like, choose that option, choose that option, choose yeah. that option. And so I was like, okay, here we go. Um, And then I became obsessed with, like, self-development and everything. And um, I think that really helped as well. Um, I mean, there are worse things you can be <laughs> addicted to. Yes. Much um, <laughs> worse <trust> things. Um <laughs> And I probably oversaturated my brain a bit too much, but that journey now has just never stopped. Like I'm always constantly getting better and always finding new parts of myself that I can improve. And um, I don't think we're ever at a point where we're, fully satisfied in who we are otherwise what would the point be in being alive you know Mm. I think we're like you can always be happy you can always be confident and stuff but as so long as you're like just constantly improving constantly doing that one percent every day then you'll be sweet and like even this time last year I look back at this time last year and I thought I had it all Mm. (laughs) at this time last year like there's no way I can top what I'm doing now and now I'm sitting here and it's just like if I thought that this time last year, what am I gonna think this time next year? Yeah. You know, and it's just you you're in you're always in a situation where you don't think you can top it and then you find yourself in another situation or you've overcome another hurdle or and you're like, Oh my god, okay, we can keep going. And I think that comes from my athlete background as well. And yeah. I was just um, gonna say
0: your your mindset is like one hundred percent athlete, like just yeah. finding the one percenters, yeah. like even just that language. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yes, Yeah, yeah,
1: I also think though it comes and again, I think swimming is a, was a real help for me because I think there are lots of sports in the world that can help me mentally. But with swimming, you've got that consistency and that you've got to show up. Mm. You know, you can't not show up. I think there are some other sports, and I'm probably being biased here, but there are probably other sports where if you miss a day or two, it's not a big deal. You're talking swimming, about team
0: sports, a... aren't you? Team sports where you can hide amongst <laughs> the team. <laughs> I mean, we're not making it about individual sports versus team sports, but really individual sports.
1: (laughs) But even in athletics, people would always say, like, do you find this training hard? I'm like, this is nothing compared to swimming. Yeah. Like, obviously, there are going to be elements of different sports that are going to be so, so hard, but with swimming – like you're doing like 50k weeks and but like, this,
0: like <laughs> this is exactly right like I swam for 53 seconds and I was training for 35 hours a week oh yeah
1: it's crazy it's like, isn't it what is it's that like about? people just don't like you've got to be a certain type of like crazy to want to do something <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I think we're both that certain type of crazy yep yep <laughs> But you're so right, like, you swim for, like, even sprinters who swim for, like, t- like 25 seconds, they're doing, like, hours and kilometers in the pool, and I'm like, han, why don't you just come a long distance and it'll be much easier for you? <laughs> um, but no, in all seriousness, I think having that athlete background really propelled me in terms of my recovery from mental health, mm-hmm. but it's also given me the stamina to, like, see it out you know and i i don't have any doubt in my mind that whatever is thrown my way whether it be today tomorrow or in two years i'll get to get through it because i know that i have those tools in my head that i've worked so hard on to implement, and i know that if something happens they'll be there waiting for me to help me get through whatever it is that they're going through
0: so well, you're talking about your your kind of your resources and I always talk about tools yeah. like tools in my tool belt. Um yeah. when you've gone through mental health challenges and like for me it's yeah. like I have to, if I'm starting to feel stressed or anxious or depressed, I have to start write, working down my list and go, okay, Yeah, list so, maker.
1: I'm a list maker too.
0: Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so have I been sleeping? Have I been exercising? Have I been yeah. eating well or whatever?
1: So what what, yeah.
0: what are the tools in your tool belt that kind of help you? Because you're so right, like you have to continue to be proactive about it.
1: Like, yeah, it, it's not something that you can just like do for like, five weeks do like a five-week crash course and hope it's going to last you like in the long run it's consistent proactiveness yeah so I have I call them my daily non-negotiables um and it's just things that I've built up like it literally started with reading like when I was at my lowest it started with literally just reading one page a day of a book that's it one page you don't want to overcomplicate it at all because that's when it becomes you can't do it you can't commit to it yeah exactly, and people will put it in the two hard baskets. So it started off with just one page a day of reading. Now I've got my non-negotiables up to I have to at least do half an hour of exercise a day. And again, this is just for me, you don't you don't have to yes. do what I do, and please don't feel like you have to. But for me, it's at least half an hour of exercise a day. Uh, meditation, four minutes of gratitude, at least four minutes of gratitude. Sometimes I just walk around the house saying how grateful I am and, but I don't count those as my four minutes, but because it's so ingrained, I'm like, oh, let's just do it. It's good. And it always makes you feel better. Reading, music. Um, and if I'm feeling like down or having like a bad day, I know that going for a walk, no matter how low on energy I am, going for a walk um, and listening to music will always help me. And also I love watching like motivational videos and they're really like cheesy and like weird and I'll they the like best. make you feel when you, when you start like watching them. But once you understand the concept of it and even like TED talks, like once you understand that it's going to help you and better you, you become like addicted to them again. And um, Yeah, it's just great. So my non-negotiables are meditating, journaling, I journaled before bed, um, I've started listening to like sleep meditations, which have been amazing yeah. for my sleep. I go to bed and wake up at essentially the same time every day, which, yep. thanks to my swimming days, kind of helps and and I always I don't check my phone before I like get started for the day I always like brush my teeth go and do a quick workout and then take my dog for a walk and then I'll come home and check my phone or whatever and it just kind of sets you up for a good day because I love the quote win the morning win the day yes and it's, it's so true it's so true um and yeah just having non-negotiables that you just will stick to no matter what yeah. so it doesn't matter how busy you are if you do those, then you've achieved that for the day. And it's totally,
0: like, it can be perceived as really boring and, like, super unsexy to, or like, oh, really Yeah, I'm going to go to bed at the same time every day and wake up at the yeah. same time. Like, it's really, like, yeah. it's boring stuff, but it makes you feel safe and it makes you feel comfortable yeah. and it makes you feel yeah. like you can take on the day.
1: Yeah, and as long as you have those things, I really don't think anything else that happens within your day matters because you know you've accomplished those non negotiables for the day, and it just makes you feel like you've achieved stuff Mm. and it set you up for a good day as well, especially the stuff that I do in the morning. Um, that's why I always try to cram as much of my non negotiables into the morning as I can. Then I also have like, yeah, exactly, yeah.
0: That's incredible. So, like, now, what, what do you do now? Because you, you do um, a lot of inspirational, like, speaking and, and that's kind of where, yeah. you, where your life is taking you. How do, how are you yeah. finding that? Is that good? Like, I mean, obviously, um, you light up when you're, you're talking about yeah, your experiences yeah, and inspiring other people.
1: It's funny because it's been a whirlwind. I was kind of forced into the whole speaking thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just never thought I could do it, but I did my first talk and I was like, I became addicted, like obsessed with it. I was like, holy shit. I did not think I would love speaking in front of people as much as I do, but I think because it's my own story Mm -hmm. and because people are always so engaged when I talk to them, um, it makes it so much easier for me. Yeah, so I'm trying to get back into my speaking because of COVID. I couldn't really do much. I did a few speaking things over Zoom um, and I had a few things lined up in Australia before um, COVID hit because of COVID and, like, travel restrictions and stuff that kind of went downhill but I'm hoping to get back into that hopefully next year my Instagram stuff has really taken off like that's just still so crazy to me like the messages I get from people from all around the world I'm like holy heck it's just like the weirdest concept but um again so cool and I've got a few I can't (laughs) I hate being this person but I've got a few exciting things coming up that I can't (laughs) really talk about yet You I did hate it. Being that person, but I'm that person now. You're that person.
0: I'm that person. Taylor, own it, own it, love it. I love <laughs> I that. Got,
1: I hate when people are like doing an interview and they're like, "Yeah, I've got some like exciting stuff In it that I can't talk about." It. I'm like, just you, "Tell us, just, just tell, tell us what, us what it, is. it is." But now I'm that person. So I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah. So well, I'm excited to hear
0: about what they go going to be. <laughs> yeah.
1: Some of the maybe I'll tell you after the sync call. <laughs> yes I'll um, hear it like, here first <laughs> some of the um opportunities I'm getting truly have just blown my mind mm. like even just like be talking to you and like you said a podcast with David I literally just sent him an email and I was like hey I've seen your podcast like would you be interested I did not think he was going to reply at all Amazing. but to like get responses from people like that who you just don't know that are so interested in your story and what it can do for their audience, like that's really cool for me yeah. as well. But but I think that's
0: the power of asking.
1: Like that's, yeah. that's
0: a really, um, yeah like a really interesting thing because so often people hold themselves back because they don't want to ask. Because- I used
1: to be that person too. Yeah. I used to be that person too, That I just, because I'm so passionate about what I do and I know that's what I'm supposed to be doing, I know that if I put my name out there and get my story out there enough, it will gain traction where I hopefully don't have to continue asking people. Yeah. But you've got to make that first a step. If you know it's what you want to do, here's the thing. If you know what you want to do in life and you know wholeheartedly that you're meant to do it and you've got such a burning like passion in your gut and in your heart, why wouldn't you? Like, Why would you not want to reach out to people and get your like purpose out there, you know? And I always used to, like, be in awe of people who, like, would put their names out there or get themselves out there and, and are now, like, famous on, like, the big screens or whatever or, like, having these, like, starring roles and have seemingly come from nowhere. Mm. But now I'm – not that I'm, like, a movie star or anything, <laughs> <laughs> but – you're an Instagram influencer, <laughs> <laughs> but like now, I should be in a position where I'm doing all that yeah. groundwork. I know there's going to be a time where I'm getting an interview done and people them like, that you've come from nowhere, and it's like, well, actually, I haven't. I've worked really hard for this, yeah. um, and I know that it's what I want to do. And it's just exciting that other people see that as well. And and that just I just love oh, it. Man, that
0: just that lit me up. I'm like fist pumping <laughs> right now <laughs> because, because it's just like like. Like fuck yeah! Like you found your superpower and you want to share yeah. that. Like I just think, yeah. so many people hold themselves back for for a 100%. myriad of reasons. Like there's so many reasons that we hold ourselves yeah. back. But yeah. if you are passionate and you found something that you want to work towards, like what's the worst that can happen? Someone says no, and sure, maybe that that
1: that's not the opportunity.
0: 100%. But try something else. Like
1: the amount of no's that I've gotten, it used to really like to turn me. I'm like, maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing um but then i heard i can't remember who it was who i heard speaking but someone said like the amount of no's they got it took one yes for them to make it big and i was like okay i can do this Mm. and now like i hardly ever get a no which sounds so conceited (laughs) (laughs) i hardly ever get a no like when i reach out to people Mm. because i'm i think also having confidence in your purpose Mm. is also such a game changer because when you're confident Mm. and you own your confidence and and your passion People love that. People yeah. love it when you've got confidence and you're passionate, and you step into that power. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent.
0: Oh, Taylor, this is amazing. You've been amazing. But <laughs> honestly, it's such a yeah, it's such a, a pleasure and a privilege for people to hear your story and and to hear. Um. I get so awkward. (laughs) You're like, oh, my God, stop talking. Oh, my God, stop giving me compliments. No, honestly, you're you're an incredible young woman and you should be so unbelievably proud of what you've been through and your entire journey and to the incredible young woman that I – and having the pleasure of speaking to like you should just be so incredibly proud of yourself and I will be waiting with bated breath for your (laughs) for your (laughs) announcements on Instagram
1: (laughs) so thank you so much for your time
0: again today it's been awesome
1: thank you so much for having me I've honestly this is such a dream come true for me so thank you so much for having me Sorry,
0: I've got one more question, one question. Chaotic, it's chaotic. (laughs) My brain is chaotic. Um, How does it feel, because, like, you you know, you're someone with a public presence, with a disability, Mm -hmm. you know, you're someone who's living with that every single day. Like, Mm -hmm. how does it feel to know that you would be inspiring so many young children with a disability to, you know, go and achieve things, big things that they're, Mm -hmm. you know, after overcoming yeah. so much in their lives,
1: um, I don't know. It's a hard question to answer. Um, I think what the reason why I do what I do like first and foremost is because I really needed someone like my present self for my younger self. I didn't have anyone to look up to on social media or on the cover of magazines or um, in the media who was so open about what they, not only what they had been through, but so proud of who they were as a person, no matter what they looked like or their disability or what they had quote unquote wrong with them. Um, I didn't have any of that. So that's why I do what I do. And so to be able to reach people through being the person that I needed for my younger self, it's crazy to me. Um, It's very humbling mm. <laughs> but also like just I think like little Taylor would be so proud and I'm trying not to get emotional yeah, well no, I'm to the last minute to make me cry <laughs> <laughs> um but um yeah I'm trying to get out what I want to say without crying but I think I'm gonna cry um but you know I used to when my family like I lived in Taronga, there's this mount that you could walk up called Mount Manganui, And every time we'd walk up it, I'd stand on the side of the mountain and just look out over the horizon and just be like, all I want to be is happy. Like I just want to be happy. And like I was like fifteen or sixteen. And so now oh <laughs> to now be um to now like be beyond happy, like so confident in who I am. And to be like a face and a voice of like, um, <laughs> well, um, to be a face and a voice of like hope and inspiration for others. Like I, oh, I don't even know how to put it into words. It makes me so happy and like proud of myself. And I'd like to anyone who is watching this or sees one of the clips of this um on social media please know that you can do anything you want to It doesn't matter what you look like it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is um, what you've been through in life the circumstances in which you grew up it does not matter you can do anything you want to and don't let anyone tell you that you can't do it because you 100% can there's room in this world for all of us and I hope that my little story can inspire one person to go out and chase their dreams And now I've got, like, snot coming out of my nose because I'm crying. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm crying too. (laughs) Gosh, you really missed the blast. (laughs) You're supposed to I'm Sorry. (laughs) Wow. We were already done and then we both started crying. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. When I saw you start to cry, I was
0: like, oh, no, I'm going to cry. <laughs> oh, well that was the most brilliant and perfect way to finish. Oh my god. I'm just god. like, can I, I just say that you
1: start-
0: like I'm just <laughs> like I've just starting to get to know you and I'm
1: I'm so proud of
0: you. <laughs> like oh, what a like what an amazing human you are. Honestly, incredible. <laughs>
1: Like I'm got snot and I'm sweating. I know, I saw you start cross like don't do it. Don't do it and I was like, oh my God.
0: Oh, oh, that was yeah. No. Thank you. Thank you again for being so vulnerable and open about your No, experience. not at all.
1: Thank you for having me. Honestly, this has been such a pleasure. Don't cry again! don't cry again.
0: I feel very emotional after that conversation with Taylor. What an incredible young woman to have not only, I guess, worked through, overcome so many, I guess, physical challenges in her life uh, through the nature of her, her disability, but just the emotional trauma of everything that she went through um, during school it's just beyond comprehension and to to speak to her like I I hope it kind of came across in that conversation because when you spoke to her like the energy that she gives you is just so beautiful and so centered and full of love which I don't know it's it yeah it's it's a rare um thing that you come across in life and and for just such a, a, a young woman to be the way that she is after everything that she, she's been through and to have such gratitude for her journey, to know that that's how she is, who she is now. And then that being able to step into her power and know what she's here to do in this life is just absolutely remarkable. So I really hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed talking to Taylor. It was just incredible. Uh, as always, if you um, wanna like or subscribe or share, that would be wonderful. And yeah, uh, otherwise head to at all that glitters pod um, and slide into my DMs and let me know who you'd like me to chat to. Otherwise, I will talk to you next week. And also, just at the end of this uh, conversation, I, I really want to reiterate, if, if this chat has brought up anything for you, it's triggered anything, make sure you reach out and talk to the people at Lifeline because they are there to take your call on 13 11 14.